Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Ellen Halliday, Deputy Editor at Prospect Magazine, and today we're going to be discussing pay inequality. Despite being overall a wealthy country, the UK has the second highest income inequality in the G7. And as our cover story in Prospect this month says, the top pay of chief executives at some of the country's biggest companies illustrates just how fast the pay gaps between top earners and average workers have become. We'll go into more detail on that later, but to give you an idea, SafeStore, that's a company that owns big self-storage boxes where you can lock up the belongings that you don't have space for, paid its CEO 656 times the median pay of its workers. But more on that in a bit. To discuss this issue, I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Hildyard, director of the High Pay Centre, a think tank that examines top incomes of CEOs and executives, corporate governance and business performance. And also Professor Sandy Pepper, an emeritus professor of management practice at the London School of Economics, where he taught and researched since 2008. Sandy also had a 27-year career at PricewaterhouseCoopers and is the author of four books, including If You're So Ethical, Why Are You So Highly Paid?, which is published in November this year. So, We'll come to to you in a minute, Sandy. But first, Luke, you very kindly put together a comprehensive data set that's published in this month's prospects. Um, at the High Pay Centre, you monitor how much people are paid at the UK's publicly listed companies and kind of keep an eye on the gaps between the, the top paid and the average worker. What was so striking about the data that you, you know, put together for us in prospect? Well, I think that... Um... If you think about what determines um, how rich people are across the economy, it's how uh, how much of overall wealth there is and then how it's distributed. So it was really striking to see some of the uh, more extreme pay differences that um, you showcased in the magazine. You talked about, I think, the, the very highest one, uh, um, uh, where the CEOs paid over 600 times the, the median work. I think there were um, about 40 or so companies in the sample of 140 altogether where the CEO was paid at least 100 times more than their 
uh, typical worker. And that just doesn't strike me as being terribly efficient, that if these companies are generating um, the, the substantial wealth, that such a sort of big proportion of it is going to one individual. And, you know, in, in practice, the, the CEO will be, um, you know, will be paid what they will. Other executives and senior managers won't be getting far off that. And you, you're then talking about seven, eight figure sums of money that if they were uh, distributed to across the workforce or to a proportion of the lower paid workers would actually make quite a meaningful difference to their incomes and standard of living. So uh, I, I think what sort of struck me immediately from these figures that they're not um, they're not terribly efficient and surely in an ideal world uh, we'd want to uh, achieve a slightly better balance. I guess the, the sort of question is, you know, can you do that uh, without causing um, sort of major economic damage or in the case of the individual businesses, hindering business performance by asking them to uh, to pay less for their leadership teams? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say I think that the sort of risks of trying to do that to, to rebalance the pay distribution a little are are greatly over-exaggerated. But of course, there's a considerable difference of opinion on that. Yeah. Okay. So we can kind of get into the, you know, some of the, some of the detail on uh, solutions and possible fixes a little bit later on. But just, could you just give us a sense of what kind of companies we're talking about, the, the kind of companies that are included in your data set? I mean, these are the FTSE 350 companies. So the, um, the largest companies listed on the UK stock exchange. It's not a perfect proxy for um, the, the biggest employers in Britain exactly, but it is basically, it, it, it's a, a, a illustrative of the, um, of the biggest private sector companies in Britain. So you've got um, AstraZeneca up there, for example, uh, who people will have heard of the supermarkets are up there there tend to be a lot of retail firms because um they're big organizations and the ceos at those firms tend to be paid vast sums of money for running large organizations but they also have large numbers of um low-paid workers working in the stores and the warehouses and so on uh catering and hospitality um they're um a, a number of uh, a, a pub co's catering firms were the ones where the lower quartile pay for the uh, at the twenty fifth point of the income distribution in their employee population, so the point at which you earn more than a quarter of the employees but less than three quarters, those firms tended to have some of the uh, of the lowest paid employees. So um, companies like Mitchell and Butler, who are a big pub firm, JD Sports, the um, high street. Uh, sportswear retailer again, so uh, very low-paid workers and big gaps to the to the CEO. Sure, yeah, thanks, Luke. That's really helpful. And the high pay centre uh, where you work, Luke, has been working on this for about a decade. But Sandy, you've also, through your research, been looking at kind of trends over time um, in terms of executive pay in the UK and also internationally. And um, how are what kind of changes have you seen? How has this pay ratio, this pay gap developed? Okay, well, I've been looking 
particularly at pay in the UK and particularly actually at the FTSE 100. Uh, but I've been developing a data set that goes all the way back to 1980. Um, and you do see very considerable inflation in CEO pay um, over the period since 1980. And it's particularly apparent from about 1990 onwards. Um, if we go back to 1980, the, the, the kind of, well, I'm going to use a slightly different ratio, which is the ratio of CEO pay to um, all uh, average national earnings. So not, so not the pay in particular companies, but to UK um, average national earnings. And if we go back to, well, I can go back to 1965, and the ratio um, was about 25 to 1. Um, and it's only in sort of 1990 that you, you start to see a, a huge um, increase in the ratio, um, so that the, the ratio by the time uh, we get to kind of um, 2015, 2016, in the UK was about 150 to 1. Now, um, so this is slightly different from the ratios that Luke was talking about. And I, and I worry, uh, to be honest, a little bit about um, uh, some, some of this data because, of course, it's both the numerator and the denominator that's relevant here. So it looks as if retail companies are, are really bad and banks, um, particularly investment banks, um, uh, have quite low ratios, but that's not because the top people are, are not paid very much. It's because the average um, in the in the company is very high. Um, you know, and conversely, in retailing and hospitality and that sort of thing, you have a relatively low median because there's lots of low-paid people. Um, but um, uh, you know, back uh, back to the kind of all national earnings ratio um, in the UK, perhaps around 150 to one. Uh, CEO, FTSE 100 CEOs to all to average national earnings. In the US, it's about twice that, 300 to one. Um, you know, so very significantly higher paid uh, top executives in the United States. But then if we look to um, to, to Europe, um, to Central Europe, Germany, France, um, lower ratios, 100 to one sort of thing. And if you go to Scand uh, the Scandinavian countries, uh, sometimes even sort of uh, lower than that. So it's clearly, the evidence clearly shows that um, inequality as exhibited by uh, the ratios of, of top pay to average pay is much more acute in the UK than it is in, in the rest of Europe. But we're still uh, quite a lot... Uh, better than the United States. Okay. And so what happened in 1990 that accelerated that, that change? Um, it, 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 peculiarly, one of the things that happened was a, a huge increase in um, disclosure of, um, uh, of, the, of, of top pay. So, com that, so the disclosure requirements uh, that companies had to comply with um, it, uh, have increased uh, significantly since 1990. Uh, the thinking at the time was this would help to moderate pay, but it's actually probably had precisely the opposite effect. Um, and, you know, you'll know yourself, um, 
uh, if you if you have a peer group um, and you know what people in your peer group are paid, if you're paid more than them, you'll be quite happy. If you're paid less than them, you'll want more pay. Um, if you're paid more than them, you won't be you won't be looking for a pay reduction. So it's a kind of one-way process here. So the more information that there is in the system, I, I think one of the consequences has been perhaps an unforeseen consequence has been that that's contributed to pay inflation. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, um, I believe, attributable to the use of thing called long-term incentive plans. Uh, so long-term incentive plans are... Uh, incentive schemes, uh, uh, often um, using share options or, uh, or or share arrangements of some kind, they tend to be very highly leveraged so that if, um, if executive meets certain targets, um, then there are potentially huge payouts. And what we see is if you look at the, the profile of pay over the kind of um, – 40 years, I was talking about 1980 to, uh, to 2020, the proportion of top pay that is represented by long-term incentive plans has increased very significantly over that time. Um, and my, my thesis is, my theory is that actually executives um, kind of undervalue um, long-term incentives. When they're awarded, um, they... Uh, they they discount them. They uh, subjectively discount them because they they're, they're not going to be paid until sometime in the future. They don't know how much they're going to be paid. They don't they don't always know precisely what uh, uh, they're going to need to do in order to uh, to achieve their targets. And so they discount uh, the value of their long term incentives and they don't revalue it when they're subsequently paid. One executive once described it to me as being paid in a currency he didn't value. And a consequence of that is, you know, you kind of want more of it. I found that last point really interesting. And I was just going to ask Sandy, I don't know if it's your area or anything. Um, on the banker's bonus cap, a lot of people have said um, it had no impact on bankers' pay. It just switched the pay from uh, bonus to fixed pay. Um, and that just seems very contrary to basic common sense. And I think to a lot of research that if your pay is going from being fixed to conditional um, or performance linked, as it is when you scrap the bonus cap, that you'd want more of it. If you're paid um, £2 million, you won't be willing to accept the possible £1 million bonus. You'll want the, the bonus to be a lot bigger. So um, conversely, if you get one million plus a possible one million bonus, you might be quite happy to accept one point three million. So I, I found the argument that the bonus cap hadn't affected total bankers' pay extremely unconvincing, and the argument that scrapping it won't uh, result in higher pay uh, similarly unconvincing. I just wondered if, uh, as someone who's much more expert on the uh, motivation incentives, whether you had any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, listen, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, actually, a salary is quite an efficient way to pay people. Um, 
and as you rightly say a discretionary bonus which you don't know if you're going to get it or not or you don't know what how much you're going to get or not and you can't easily um go to a mortgage broker and get a mortgage based upon it and so on and so forth um it is a it is actually strangely in pay terms a relatively inefficient way to pay people the theory is that if you link um, pay to performance by having bonuses linked to your performance, somehow you improve people's performance. Um, but I think that's very much exaggerated. Um, and I, so my, you know, my personal belief is very much more that uh, it, it, one of the ways that we address this problem of very high pay, and, and it is a problem, we'll maybe come to that in a moment, uh, but one of the ways is to switch back from the big focus on variable pay um, and pay people more fixed pay, um, but in smaller amounts than um, if you have a system which is very heavily weighted towards variable pay. Yeah. I did wonder if we could just go back to the basics. Um, not everybody thinks that high CEO pay is a bad thing. There are arguments that it's crucial to attract what you would call say is the best talent um, and that it can, you know, in incentivize the best in business to come to the UK. Um, so what's, what's really the problem with the fact that prestigious, big, successful companies in Britain pay their CEOs pretty well? Yeah, it's a very fair question. And I think we can look at this through two different lenses. We can look at it through an economics lens and we can look at it through a philosophical and ethical lens. We probably look at it through a political lens as well. Um, let's just look at it through an economic lens. Now, the argument is if you pay people more, you incentivize them more, they will perform better, uh, you get better overall economic outcomes. Um, that's true up to a point, but what many senior executives would say is um, they're motivated not not particularly or not just by money. They're motivated by all sorts of things. They're motivated by what they can achieve, by having some kind of a legacy. Um, they're intrinsically motivated. They're high achievers. So pay is, um, is only one of the factors that contributes towards performance. Now, what, what pay should be is um, the price that it's necessary to pay to buy somebody's labour. Um, and the problem when it comes to senior executives is that the kind of the market mechanism doesn't work properly. The market does not determine what the right price to pay people is. And so we end up with a, a mechanism uh, that economic sociologists called isomorphism, where basically people just copy what's going on. One company sets up amount of pay for its CEO, other companies follow suit, um, you end up with a kind of ratcheting up game because people, if they make adverse comparisons, they'll want more pay, but they won't offer to reduce their pay if they're, if they're doing particularly well. So this is not like the pay of university lecturers or um, shop workers where there's lots of people involved and we can uh, assume that the market determines an accurate pay rate. So that's the economic lens. 
Um, the, the, you know, the problem with high pay is it's an example of a market failure. People are being paid more than you need to pay them to get efficient outcomes. If that's the case, um, does that suggest, I mean, in, so in the piece that, that Deborah Harbreeze wrote, um, along with the data that Luke presented, Deborah set out a few solutions. And one of, one of the possible solutions would be to somehow encourage uh, chief executives to accept less pay. Um, what Sandy just said suggests that that might be possible. Do you think that that's right? Um, I think it would be pretty difficult. And I think um, it, it's one of the reasons why we um, take a critical perspective of top pay, but we try not to be too personally critical of the individual CEOs. I think if you're being offered very large sums of money, it's quite difficult not to take them. And I think there's an element of human nature that would that would encourage people to uh, uh, to want to get the maximum they can, can get in terms of pay. I think it's more um, the place to look uh, or one of the places to look in terms of um, rebalancing pay distribution, reducing the gaps between people at the, at the, at the top and, and everybody else would be around the, the governance processes that set pay. So at the moment, it's done by remuneration committees at these large companies that are largely made up of serving or former executives, people who themselves have been in these high-powered positions or often currently serving in, in similar positions um, and thus benefit or have benefited from the same um, pay culture. Um, I don't think it's as simple as saying, oh, somebody who's a, a CEO sits on another CEO's remuneration committee and thinks, now, if I bid the going rate up for them, then if I bid their pay up, then that start, start contributes to the going rate for a CEO increasing and I'll benefit from that. I, I don't think it's that calculating, but they're instinctively sympathetic to the argument that these people are uniquely hardworking and talented and that company successes are completely contingent on these individuals and thus you've got to pay them whatever it takes to get the, the right person into the role. There's a lot of counter arguments around that you know the economic context the contribution of, of the wider workforce every ceo's strategic decision will be very important with you know millions if not billions of pounds of market value at stake but they're not taking those decisions in an isolated room they're relying on uh, on the sort of advice and judgment of, of countless colleagues many of these um corporations have been functioning successfully on a day-to-day basis for decades if not centuries and the idea that they're going to fall apart without this one individual is um you know is pretty visible so i i think the people on the committees that set pay are have a probably unconscious bias towards the argument that the you know the individuals in the in the executive roles are unique and irreplaceable and critical and worth playing whatever it's worth to get them. And they're unconsciously biased against the argument that suggests actually um, the number of people that could do this role is 
purely dependent on the number of people that mm-hmm. the company trains up. And bear in mind, they've got, you know, millions, if not hundreds of millions of pounds to spend on taking on hundreds of yeah. graduates every year. They really shouldn't be in a position where the c- company is so dependent on one individual that they get locked into this football transfer style war to, um, you know, to keep them in post. So um, I would look at getting a, a, a more diverse array of professional backgrounds and life perspectives onto those committees, specifically through the election of um, of workers' representatives. I think that would enable um, a, a sort of more open-minded, sort of critical discussion on pay when uh, salaries and bonuses and incentive payments are being deliberated on. I think there are lots of other things you could do too mm-hmm. around um, tax, potentially even... Uh, pay caps but I think politically those are less likely to happen whereas doing something with the governance of the pay committee um, is a more realistic prospect Something that I've uh, genuinely been wondering since we started thinking about this issue is it sounds like there's a few different solutions, there's tax, there's limiting the pay ratio, there's uh, a discussion about how bonuses are paid which contributes in large part to to executive pay, but it doesn't sound easy to implement any of these ideas. So something I've been thinking about is, is which is easier to lower chief executive pay and top pay or to raise the pay of the people at the other end? Um, is thinking about executive pay even the right approach to have? I would love to hear your thoughts on on that, maybe Sandy. Well, I, I think we have to be a bit careful. I mean, um, labour markets for most people are reasonably efficient. They're not perfect. It's not a commodity market. Somebody once said labour is not a commodity like fish. But nevertheless, um, you know, the market for graduates, the market for teachers, the market for university lecturers can be reasonably uh well expected to determine what an appropriate price for somebody's labour is if you it, it, operating within a free market capitalist system. The problem with top pay, it's like the problem with footballers, is the market doesn't work properly. Um, so um, I, I think the right thing to do is to focus on top pay and think about how we ad- address those problems. It would be lovely wouldn't it, if everybody was paid more? But that has, you know, huge economic consequences. I mean, I personally believe that companies do have a responsibility to uh, pay people proportionately, to pay all their workers at least a living wage. When it comes to the distribution of earnings across the employee profile, I think companies do have some responsibility to make sure that pay is proportionate i think the argument that obviously it'd be great if we could just say hey let's just make all the poor people as rich as the rich ones um obviously that would be better than having to sort of think about tough distributional choices but i think if we could do that it would have been done ages ago it's it's sort of slightly utopian i always think like again with the term leveling up people are, oh we'll just make the poor regions as as rich as the rich ones and that's the big the government's big plan for the next parliament i mean why did nobody think of that before 
Um, it, in reality, it's it's not as simple as that. And actually, uh, pay growth, economic growth more generally, has been really hard to get going for well over a decade. And I think we do now have to think much more seriously about whether we can sustain the sort of levels of pay we have in the middle and at the bottom where people are really struggling while having such high pay at the top. I mean, Sandy talked about the levels of inequality, North America, UK, Europe uh, a a bit earlier. And there's a a good piece in the Financial Times recently showing what that means in practice, where the UK, compared to other quite similar economies, the rich people in the UK are richer than in uh, other Western European countries, but the poor people are poorer. And I think, you know, the rich people are going to be fine regardless um, poor people and people in in the middle. That's where the um, policymakers' energy should be uh, should be concentrated. One of the kind of moments of improvement that Deborah also talked about in the piece in Prospect was um, the pandemic and the the impact that kind of had on temporarily closing the gap a little between top pay and and medium pay. I think we saw also. Uh, back after the financial crisis, a kind of a realization that uh, something should be done to cap bankers' bonuses, uh, that kind of thing, and, and keep uh, pay in check. We're heading into probably several years of of tricky, uh, of a tough economic climate. Do you think that bodes uh, well for closing the pay ratio, or the trend that we've seen in the longer term of that gap increasing? Will that continue? I think we we have started to see some change in the UK. Um, that there's been uh, there is an increasing recognition amongst large companies that long term incentive plans are not the right way to reward top executives. Um, a company called at the Andrew Weir Group um, a couple of years ago got rid of its long term incentive plan, replaced it with a different type of arrangement. And reduced the uh, the face value of uh, of the senior executives' pay by about fifty percent at the same time. So I think there are, there there are some signs um, uh, that recognition that there is a problem. Um, but this is a complex problem, and that there are no easy answers. And it's I think fairly clear to me that um, uh, government does have a a, a role to play here in terms of the way the tax system is used. I'm, I'm very wary of pay caps and things. I think the experience when that's been tried in various parts of the world, you know, it's shown not to be very successful. People find ways around it. It doesn't achieve what it's intended to achieve. But government does have a, a role to play in terms of establishing a moral tone and using the tax system uh, and as Luke was saying, uh, making sure that corporate governance systems um, are robust enough to make sure that companies are governed in the interests not just of the executives but of everybody who's a stakeholder. Um, I I think investors have a responsibility here. Um, Historically, investors have been relatively loath to get involved in questions about executive pay. Uh, So, um, it's a complex problem that requires 
complex solutions and lots of different uh, lots of different parties were involved in will be involved in in coming up with those solutions sure and luke just before we wrap up a closing word from you if we were to come back uh in a year or two years time and look at this data set again will you expect to see any level of improvement or maybe we need to look at a bigger time window you know in five or ten years time um where would you expect the the pay ratios to be going? I think at the moment there's I wouldn't expect them to change radically. Um, I think investors are starting to or have been holding companies to account a bit more in recent years than they had been previously. Um, I think there's a lot of groups, uh, NGOs and think tanks and so on that are taking an interest in this issue and publicising it and often creating adverse publicity for companies that say have very high CEO pay or pay ratios or don't pay the living wage. Um, you're seeing some of them actually work through investors like the shareholder resolution at Sainsbury's to get them to, to pay the living wage as well. Um, I think there's been a little bit of resurgence in trade union activity, which I think is really important. I think a stronger trade union presence in industries like retail and hospitality would really help the workers in those industries to get a slightly fairer share of the wealth that they're labor create so that's a um a, a kind of positive force but i don't think any of those things have been happening on the scale that is necessary to really bring ceo to worker pay gaps down significantly or to rebalance the sort of the inequalities in the uk that much i think you'd need to see some kind of policy interventions that aren't really on the cards at the moment around the worker representational boards, maybe making it easier for trade unions to access workplaces so you have a more significant uh, increase in, in union membership and collective bargaining agreements in some of those industries where pay is, is particularly low. And um, none of those policy ideas, I think, is especially radical. They're, Things that are more commonplace in, in many other countries are a good deal more economically successful than the UK. But at the moment, I don't think they're on the cards. As, as, as you say, those issues are not currently the top of the of this government's to do list, but doesn't mean that they couldn't be in the future. And um, that's all that we're going to have time to talk about today. But thanks so much to Luke and to Sandy for joining us, uh, and thanks very much to everybody who's tuned in to hear our discussion. If you want to catch Sandy talking about his book, If You're So Ethical, Why You're So Highly Paid, then you can do so on Monday the 21st of November at 6.30pm. Uh, details are at lse.ac.uk. In the current issue, you can see Luke's dataset in all its glory uh, and read Deborah's essay that accompanies it. You can also read up on meme wars that are setting democracy, catch up with our lives columnist Sheila Hancock and discover what Orhan Tamak thinks is the biggest problem of the all. That's all for this week, but thanks very much for listening and tune in next week for uh, the Prospect Podcast.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.